So just defining some simple criteria for that. But I think the key is making it simple and making not making it a checkbox exercise. So one of the things I always hated as a sales rep is well, fill out this form, check all these boxes. No one ever reads it. No one ever does anything with the information. So it's like, what are the key items we want to track? What's the criteria? And let's enable that for the team. So if I'm going to tell somebody to fill out these items, it's not a giant laundry list full of things. It's the key things that are going to help move the deal forward. Not something just to appease people who are looking to see if there's activity or something like that. So I think keeping it simple for the user and keeping the user in mind. So I know salespeople, I'm one of them, and it becomes an administrative exercise. And we all know how much time folks spend on that sort of stuff. So the more I can reduce that, the better. And that's going to set us up better for scale. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Sandy Robinson, who is the VP of Sales and Revenue Operations at Nimbus. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, Sandy, I, I see someone here with extensive both sales and then operations experience. What I would like to understand first is the the time point at which you decided to to move from sales or sales management uh, into operations, like when that happened and also why that happened? That's a great question. So it happened when I was a uh, regional sales manager, sales director, uh, and I was managing a couple of regions and, and sales folks. And I, you know, at the time I was trying to tell my story, manage territories and, you know, relying on data from corporate which, you know, kind of the running joke was the things that you got from corporate weren't always reliable. So we wait for the third, fourth version of the spreadsheet to come out. So, you know, I got really crafty with the system. We were on an old version of Microsoft CRM. I learned the reporting, was able to, you know, kind of tell our story, manage up. And pretty soon sales leaders were asking me, can I get this report? Can you do this for me? And I, you know, I had a really great mentor who eventually said, you know, you're really great at this stuff. Have you heard of sales operations? And, um, you know, it, it was, it was fun. They said, you know, we really need a sales ops leader and someone to, you know, stand this up. And so I shifted into that role after, um, you know, being in that, uh, at this particular organization, being in a sales leadership role for several years. Uh, and I've, you know, been on that side of the fence ever since. I did run a few sales teams while putting sales ops together. So I was kind of doing both for some time. 
Um, but I think it's really valuable having that experience, especially having carried a bag. You know, I know what it's like the old school, knocking on doors, cold calling, filling out lead sheets and things like that. So um, it was uh, it was kind of a natural transition, but I'm really passionate about it. How crucial do you think it is for a sales ops or revenue ops person to have experience actually doing the selling? I, I mean, personally, I, you know, I have the experience, so I can't imagine doing it any other way, looking from the outside and understanding the business, like really understanding the pressure of quotas and making your, your weekly quota, your monthly quota, uh, having to report up, having to, you know, to have that pressure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it can be done, but it really takes the understanding, I think, of just being in that mindset. Like that they're the sales team, they're my customers, right? The and they in and so I really understand them and what they need and how to enable them. So um, you know, I think if if you don't have the experience, you really need to immerse yourself and understand the team and really understand their needs, um, which you know, you need to do anyway because everybody's needs are different, but it's just, it gives you a leg up, in my opinion. Totally agree. Um, just to confirm, so the transition from sales management to operations, that happened at the, the company called Kemper, right? Correct. I was at Kemper and I was in a sales director role and we had some shifts in the organization. As with any public company, there's lots of uh, reorganizations and and things like that. So there there was a lot of change in um, having it happened at a time too where we were managing change and had to realign territories, bring two teams together, overlap, um, you know, reps that came from different companies and figure out what those geographies look like. So one of my first projects was really pulling um, two companies together and recreating territories, compensation plans. Uh, and everything like that, just you know, right off the bat. Uh, so it was a it was a great way to, way to kind of dive in headfirst to the deep end. Makes sense. And was that so? Just to clarify, when you did move over into operations, was there an ops team there already, or did your work in the ops area make them think that yes, actually, we need a sales ops function? So it was kind of a combination. So um, there was a person that did. You provide reports and kind of serve as that function, but there wasn't anybody looking at it from a like actual holistic sales operations function. Uh, we did have administrators uh, that reported up to marketing. And so it was, you know, just one of those, it, there was a knowledge that the function was covered, but it wasn't like a defined functional area. Sure. And then I want to also touch upon your current role at Nimbus. Could you just give the the listeners a sense of uh, roughly how many sales reps and roughly how many people are in your sales slash RevOps function? So we've been scaling up. So we're uh, around, include, if you include BDR, sales engineers, uh, RVPs, we're I think right around 25 now for our, for our whole uh, sales team. Uh, and then we're also scaling up our customer success team. So I started back in uh, February, and I think there were uh, two sales reps at that time and five BDRs. So we're we're growing fast. So everything that I'm doing uh, right now is, uh, you know, it's it's startup creating uh, from you know not really having anything, uh, but also creating for scale quickly. So um, while we're in startup mentality, and you know we're trying to be flexible and and create 
you know, things are going to change. Uh, but at the same time, everything that I'm doing is in the mindset of where we're going to be next year at this time, end of the year. Um, you know, we're hiring fast and growing fast. So we can't continue, you know, we can't do things, you know, that are, uh, you know, very manual. We have to set ourselves up for scale and automation. Got it. Well, what do you think has been the most impactful initiative or change that you've made since joining? Uh, so I would say getting our lead process in place quickly. So we have a lot of excitement in the market uh, with things that are going on. And just, uh, you know, one of the first things, we weren't even sure we were going to be on Salesforce uh, when I was hired. So um, that was that was the first thing was, well, you know, let's stand everything up in Salesforce. I know we can uh, have tools connect together and, you know, put things in place pretty quickly. So, uh, and then the first order of business was getting the BDRs dialed in with a lead process and having it, you know, come in from the web form, come into a queue and define our lead stages and, you know, what, you know, an MQL versus an SAL and, and everything like that. So that was really the first fast order of business. A quick win is just getting the team enabled. They were kind of working on spreadsheets that were getting emailed from marketing and, uh, you know, I don't know where the leads were going. So uh, so that was the first order of business. And then the second was getting uh, the, you know, tools for the BDR team. So we put in, uh, I selected Outreach and Gong to uh, quickly get enabled. Uh, so we did that and we're able to, you know, get the coaching and calling and cadences and things like that set up um, fast. Got it. And apart from scaling, is there anything else that you're looking at for the rest of 2021? Compensation. So uh, I'm currently doing it in a spreadsheet. I just uh, brought on a tool that uh, my admin is getting set up. So uh, hopefully this is the last run. I'll be doing it manually in a spreadsheet. And so that'll be really great to get in place. Um, it'll give them some nice report cards and quota tracking as well, uh, rather than waiting for my PDF that I email each of them individually. Mm. Uh, and, and it's getting bigger and bigger that I, you know, every every month I do it. So, uh, and I'm just scared to death. I'm going to get it wrong and send the wrong person the wrong one. So um, that that's like my immediate need to get in place now. And that'll really set us up, I think, for, um, you know, having that also that, you know, people want to know where they are. They don't want to wait for me to send the spreadsheet at the end of the month. Uh, they want to know how they're tracking, you know, hunters are motivated by this sort of thing. And as, as many dashboards as I can build in Salesforce, that's great, but they want to know how much they're getting paid. Um, so uh, it, it will connect Salesforce. It's going to pull from Salesforce. So it'll pull the opportunity data and everything like that. Um, but we'll be uh, you know, putting some other, you know, manual data in terms of our, you know, when our customers pay and things like that. So there's going to be multiple sources feeding into the tool. Yeah, makes sense. Sounds like things are shaping up very nicely over there at Nimbus. Right now, we'll bring on my co-host, Alex, to dig a little bit deeper. Great. Thanks, Tom. Um, and thanks, Sonia. It was yeah, really interesting to hear a bit about um, your journey, particularly what you're doing now at Nimbus. Um, so I think starting from from from, way, from the back where you are now, um, yeah, it was really 
interested about the whole idea of building for scale. I think um, it's quite obvious. It's just an obvious buzzword to use, scale. You know, in the startup culture, it's all about scale. And I'm not saying you were doing that. Um, but how how do you then try and do something, you know, how do you really make that, that sort of practical? And how do you balance the, um, the requirement to figure out a process that actually works um, before making sure it can, can scale? Right. So depending on the process, I think, um, you know, keeping things simple is what's most important. Uh, so my philosophy is create process first, then put it in a system, uh, then iterate, you know, modify it, change it, get user feedback, and then automate it from there, right? So I, I think creating, you know, identifying where we need a process, uh, you know, one of those processes is, a, you know, an opportunity process, right? So when do you create an opportunity? So just defining some simple criteria for that. Um, but I think the key is is making it simple and making, not making it a checkbox exercise. So I one of the things I always hated as a sales rep is, you know, well, fill out this form, check all these boxes. No one ever reads it. No one ever does anything with the information. So it's like, what are the key items we want to track? What's the criteria? And let's enable that for the team. So if I'm going to tell somebody to fill out these items, it's not a giant laundry list full of things. It's the key things that are going to help move the deal forward. Uh, not something just to appease, you know, people who are looking to see if there's activity or something like that. So, uh, so I think keeping it simple, keeping it simple for the user and keeping the user in mind. So uh, I know salespeople, I'm one of them. And it, it's like, it becomes an administrative exercise. And we all know how much time folks spend on that sort of stuff. So the, the more I can reduce that, the better. And that's going to set us up better for scale. Fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, really, really helpful. and and. Yeah, and just really putting the bones on what a sort of iterative process is of building successful processes for scale. Um, and then obviously the, the key is, is, is good simplicity, which can sometimes be easier said than done. Um, but thanks, that, that was really um, helpful. The other thing I was just thinking about was when you mentioned at, at, at Kemper that two things is one, how essentially you, you know, there was always people doing operations pieces in the in the, in the revenue functions, but it wasn't a, a set department. Um, and, and again, even though it's it's increasingly common, there will still be you know people where where they're sort of building this out for the first time. So it'd be great to hear um, a little bit about your experience there and, and any, any sort of suggestions and recommendations you have around that. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be when you first start in a role like that. It's like where where do I start? So you know, just simple prioritization exercises. Uh, you know, in in that case, it was pretty simple because we we had to combine the two businesses. So starting with territories and compensation uh, was you know something that was important. So, you know, I think it's really just understanding the business, understanding the needs of the business, and then prioritizing it. Um, and then getting, you know, getting buy-in with the leaders is always important. So, you know, between finance and the sales leaders, the marketing leaders, you know, anybody who's involved and just making sure that, okay, we're aligned on priorities. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in the whirlwind and, you know, be working on a lot of different tasks that, that aren't, you know, moving the needle forward. So, um, it's just knowing where to start and then and then diving into those areas, I think. Great, thanks. And and that was the other thing I wanted to pick up, which you, you talked about, so you were merging two, 
to businesses. And again, another, you know, um, businesses scale often, you know, to make through acquisitions. And I just wondered if you had, again, some, some thoughts to share from your experience of doing that, um, anything that you learned, sort of good practices or, or things to avoid. I think just you can't forget the people factor. So, you know, anytime that's happening, there's emotions and, you know, people are, uh, you know, um, worried about their jobs and their new roles and, um, you know, things like that. So I think it's just really understanding as, um, you know, what's there's a balance of what's right for the business and, you know, understanding the needs of the market and understanding, you know, okay, how do we, how do we help the people through this transition? Um, you know, whatever the end result needs to be. Um, so from a systematic perspective, obviously there are logistical things like in this case, there were two CRM systems. So that was very challenging. So, and that, that was um, probably the thing that, that was the, the hardest was, we had two old CRM systems. So what really needed to happen was going, going to Salesforce, but in a large public entity, that's a, you know, years of decision-making. So um, I'm really a root cause person, you know, figure out the root cause and solve for that. But in that case, we really had to put some band-aids on it because while I tried to solve for the root cause, that was going to be, you know, three to five years of happening. You know, they're finally, they're actually doing it now, I heard. Um, moving over. And that was an initiative I started years ago. Um, and so it, it, we had to really understand how to make sense of the data, like data, you know, create dashboards and Tableau that pulled things together. So it, it was, it was definitely challenging uh, all around, you know, between the people, uh, you know, really setting up territories and comp was kind of the easiest quick win, um, but it was really getting all the systems to talk together and getting two cultures to merge together and teams and managers to train each other. Training was also my responsibility, training, onboarding, enablement. Uh, so we did a lot of, um, you know, teaching each other and cross-training and things like that. So it was uh, it was definitely a fun time, but it's Again, I mean, I just really think it's change management 101. You know, how do you deal with it? Um, so there's people and there's logistics. Oh, great. Thanks. Very, uh, yeah. no, really, really helpful just sort of thinking about how that, how that might look. Um, yeah, I think one, one final question, and um, which is going to be something like um, anything that you think is going to be like the, the, kind of the future of, of, of RevOps, anything quite exciting you see happening there or any... Um, one of we had, we had a previous guest who's told us after we stopped the recording, he said, "I, you know, apart from enjoying the interview, he said, I yeah, didn't get, even get to any of my hot takes." And we're like, "Oh, <laughs> I should have asked, someone should have asked that." And so, I just think, you know, anything rather than just you know me, me, me dictating the questions, anything you just think would be really useful to share with you know with sort of the, the RevOps world. Yeah, I mean, I think especially in a like enterprise SaaS environment, so which is really what I've been working in the last couple of years, you know, post Kemper. Uh, is, you know, thinking about how customers buy, right? So it's different now than it was where, you know, when I was selling Yellow Pages and there was like literally one decision maker and you have that hardcore close where you stare them in the eye and nobody talks. Uh, and the first person who talks loses. I mean, that was like super fun and exciting and, you know, getting them to sign. And it's just not, it's doesn't not how it works now. So you're selling to 
eight, nine, 10 people in an organization. And sales and RevOps leaders tend to be very linear. Uh, so, you know, if it's this stage, you have to do these things, and then it goes to that stage. Um, I just up my, stood up a new opportunity in Salesforce. There are only three open stages. And I, and basically it goes from qualified to, qual- to um, qualifying or qualifying to qualified. That's a one-way street. Then there are two other stages. I really don't care what stage they're in, right? We have a number of tasks that you know they should be completing, but they don't happen in order. People don't buy in order, right? So you have a CFO who wants to know something different than a CEO. And what do they care about? And the CEO may be yeah, I, I think it's a go. We're great. And then now all of a sudden you talk to the vice president of their legal team and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got to start way back here. So I think sales ops leaders really need to stop thinking linear um, and think in terms of, and, and even not probabilities. Like I really wish you could get rid of the probability field in Salesforce, but you can't hide it. They want it in there. Um, I hide it from the view of all the reps and my CRO. Um, and, uh, we don't use it. So it drives finance nuts a little bit, but what we use is our, our forecasting methodology. And then I have a CRO forecast that basically gives him the the ability to over like to, to, to let them have their autonomy to forecast. And we hold them to it at a certain point in the quarter, we hold them to their forecast. Uh, but he has the ability to say, yeah, I know, I know they're saying that, but, and he can override it for his executive reports. So um, I think, I think stop thinking that sales is linear because it's not probabilities. Don't tell you, Oh, we have a 50% close chance. That tells me nothing. You could have a new chief compliance officer jump in at the end and make you start due diligence over. And that brings you back a month, you know? So you have to think of the sales, the sales process being, a buying process and how do we enable the team to get the people that they're working with on their end enabled to make buying decisions because it's a group effort. It's not a, someone, nobody's going to fall on the sword for the decision. And, you know, obviously most, we all know most deals lead to indecision, right? So it's not necessarily that they're even going with a competitor. Um, So I think just stop, saying, you know, things have to be linear. And if you don't go to this stage, then you can't get this. If somebody wants to send an um, MSA out early on, by all means, do it. That's going to save you time later. I don't need to wait for you to be in closing stage to be able to get an MSA. Um, So one of the tools I'm putting in place right now is Seismic. And we're going to push content to people as they need it. So when they are, um, you know, saying, okay, I'm starting a proposal, then poof, the templates will pop up and they can just grab them and have it be there. So I'm trying to enable it so people can work through things like that. Less required fields and more tasks. Did you or didn't you do this? Um, so we just stood that up September 1st. And so go forward, I'm looking at, you know, how do I, how do I then track progress and stall deals and things like that? Uh, and 
and it becomes a little tricky because it's not necessarily based on stage movement, but it could be they requested a, or they downloaded a proposal template and now it's been three weeks and nothing's happened. You know, so we're going to get creative in how we do build the reporting around it um, so we can really track those sort of things. So as long as there's a field, you can report on it and there's going to be a time date stamp in the background. Um, so, and that's a concept that most sales ops leaders would probably, uh, you know, have like get the heebie-jeebies over, but it's, it's so great. And especially from a user perspective, it gives them um, some level of control and autonomy in what they're doing uh, and, you know, defining guidelines around forecasting. If you're saying it's committed and this is the close date and it's in quarter, we're taking that to the grave, right? And so that's really that's really how we manage it. Thank you. That was super interesting. I just want one quick extra question before I bring Tom back, and um, just to follow up on that, which is, I guess I'll tell you, I, I get everything you're saying. Really helpful. It's almost like there there are more there are sort of more defined journeys for, for different stakeholders, but even those aren't going to be totally defined. And as you said, you don't know quite when they're going to come on, and therefore the whole thing should be more more fluid. Um, and then you talked a little bit about it in terms of, of commit. This is what you got to take to back. How, how do you handle sort of sort of pipeline forecasting sort of further out, particularly around likelihood to close and and date of close? If, as you said, you've recognised that the process is so hard to define, do you have any any kind of key key things you look at to help there? So we do use all of the forecasting stages we've created, and we bucket them into qualified and qualifying. So. If it's in quarter, everything should be qualified. Nothing should say qualifying. Uh, if it's you know future quarters, there's going to be a mix. So we have uh, you know pipeline whether it's you know a five x qualified you know, and we look at we really look at a rolling four closely. Uh, so I have different views of my dashboards. Uh, rolling four is going to be in quarter, current quarter, and rolling four are our two. Uh, you know, dashboards that we look at very closely. And then we have the full pipe, which shows by quarter, you know, throughout as far as it will go. Uh, so, you know, some of the deals, you know, were four months, I, I would say six to 24 months, you know, uh, we're going to be more in that, you know, six to 12 month sales cycle, uh, depending on the deal size and the product. So, you know, rolling four for sure, in quarter for sure, and then just really looking at qualified versus not qualified. And, you know, I'm looking at the numbers every day. So if I see something that pops out, I just, you know, shoot them an email. Hey, you know, why do you have this in quarter? And, and they're, you know, it's, it's not a lot for them to manage, you know, in terms of the, what we're asking. We're asking, like, make sure for the purpose of reporting, you feel good about your close date. The ACV value, because that's what we're focused on this year, and your uh, dollar amount or your AC value and your um, forecast category. So those are going to be the most important things. Um, you know, qualifying automatically comes out of any executive reporting. Uh, and then from there, we look within that for those commit, uh, you know, um, deals. Amazing, super helpful. Thanks so much, Sandy. I'm just going to bring Tom back in um, just to wrap up for us. Sandy, thank you so much. I can tell there's 
a lot of wisdom shared. Um, it seems like it's been an amazing journey that, you, that you've been on and the work that you're doing in Nimbus. Uh, like, it's, like, I'm really excited to see how the sales process or the sales function, the revenue function grows with your oversight over the coming years. So I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom with the audience. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. Thank you.